Hey everybody, Richard here, and thanks for tuning in to the Enlightened Investing Podcast. In today's episode, Stockbrokers Part 1, we're going to be going over what a stockbroker is, why you might want to have one, and what the three types of brokers are, so make sure to listen to the whole episode. Welcome everyone to the Enlightened Investing Podcast, your educational podcast about the stock market. Joining us for this episode is Mr. Edward Collins, who has a love for Wall Street and used to be the Senior Executive Vice President of the U.S. Equity Department of Daiwa Securities America. This episode is all about stockbrokers. So we'll start this episode out the same way that we usually do. What is a stockbroker? Well, Richard, a stockbroker is an individual ideally well-versed in economics and all facets of financial markets, which would include stocks, bonds, treasuries, options, money market funds, mutual funds, CDs, currencies, volatility, and even cryptocurrencies now, and any other financial investments to help individuals to best position their investments and financial needs. Whatever position one takes in the financial markets, whether it be a retail broker, an institutional broker, corporate bond trader, municipal bond trader, government bond trader, options trader, salesperson, they are all required by the Securities Exchange Commission to take a very serious Series 7 exam within six months of having gone to work in Wall Street. Uh, It is a strenuous four-hour exam to determine one's knowledge. Yes, sir. That's a wonderful point you made about the the SEC exam. That's completely true. And I'm sure you took that exam, right, as you were a stockbroker? Of course. And actually, as, as you rise in management, you have to take continuing education exams. Oh, I didn't know that. Thank you. One thing I will add is that a broker, too, broker is used to represent a lot of things. So a stockbroker is usually a person who's going to work for what's called a brokerage or a brokerage firm. And then some people will just call that firm a broker. And a broker could be a firm that issues out stockbrokers to you, or it could be something like Charles Schwab or TD Ameritrade that just allows you to invest without giving you financial advice. Next, why would someone want to have a stockbroker? Well, it's a great question, Richard. Uh, It most probably depends upon where one is in their investment life. Lawyers, you think of doctors, you think of dentists, you think of farmers and ranchers. They may be more interested in other subject matters than the stock market. And so brokers can literally at times help one to adjust your portfolio in a proper way. Many people have jobs making money so they can invest and do not watch the market on an hourly basis. So a broker may be able to espouse something that might be important for that investor. It is interesting to think that you can actually, with the broker's help, he can buy puts and calls to enhance the investment uh, portfolio just in, in a small way that unless you're a day trader, you might not be ready to do that. 
Yes, sir. Wonderful response. And for the brokerages that don't offer advice, I know we're going to be talking more about those later, but one of the reasons to use those is that you need some sort of broker to invest in the stock market. You don't, it doesn't have to be a broker who gives you advice, but regardless, you do need some sort of broker, maybe like an online broker, like Robinhood or TD Ameritrade, because they actually allow you to buy and sell stocks. Very true. And, you know, one of the things is kind of interesting. Uh, when I was 12 years old, I, my father had me read the Kiplinger letter, the Kiplinger Washington letter. And out of habit, I still read it today. But then when I turned 14, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was trading at 250. Think about that, Richard, 250. It's now at roughly 35,000. I used to design paper portfolios from age 14. And I had a lot of fun doing that. I will just tell you that it was a lot easier to make money with paper portfolios than it was with real portfolios. <laughs> yes, sir. I, I love the historical perspective. And who knows, we're recording this right now in 2021. If someone listens to this in 2035, who knows what the Dow Jones will be at by then? <laughs> well, do you know that the New York Stock Exchange, when I was probably 14, 15 years of age, they were open on Saturdays from 10 to 12 on Saturday. And the problem with Saturdays is that every broker had to be there, but the volume was so low that, you know, normally there was not much business to be done. And so ultimately they wisely closed it on Saturday. Wow. I didn't know that. Thank you. And <laughs> the next question we mentioned that some stockbrokers can work for a brokerage firm. So what is a brokerage firm? Well, a typical, typical brokerage firm has separate departments for each category of investment opportunity. Research, sales, trading, mergers and acquisition, underwriting, oil trading. Some are now involved in cryptocurrencies. But no matter how successful these firms might be in each department and in trading their own accounts, the largest portion of their bottom line comes from the amount of cash, stocks, and bonds they hold for all of their clients. The commissions really are not where they make their money. Uh, if you think about, as you mentioned earlier, Robinhood, they have 10 million accounts let's just assume that each account is worth $100,000. I mean, you know, you think about what they are making on the VIG, as we call it, because they're making loans overnight of money and of your stocks. And when people short stocks, they need to borrow the stock to deliver it. Let's move on to the three types of brokers. So first, what is a full service broker? And to me, a full service brokerage firm has all of the departments that we discussed a minute ago. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to just touch base with you on is when you're, you question me about why would someone want a broker? It is just as important, in my opinion, if not more so, to know when to sell as it is to buy. And I just want to give you one example of probably 30 years ago, before we had any computers of any kind, 
uh, I was having dinner in Midtown Manhattan with a portfolio manager. And he asked me how much it would cost him to sell 5 million shares of a stock that had closed at 73. I suggested it might be as much as two and a half to three points. But I put him in a cab and sent him home. And I went back to the office and spent the night doing homework. And the next morning, the New York Stock Exchange, as usual at that time, opened at 10 o'clock. And about 9.40, I tried to call the portfolio manager because I had rounded up buyers down a half a dollar from the close. He was away visiting a company that he was going to invest in and it was not available. And I called the trader and the trader denied that they had anything like that for sale. And the trader took 15 months averaging actually $74. So he made seven and a half million dollars over my bid of down a half a dollar. But the company that the portfolio manager was visiting and was going to buy 10 million shares was trading at 23. And in the same 15 months, it rose to 97. So he left $74 million on the table. So it was important for him to sell at that time. And, you know, Knowing when to buy and knowing when to sell is the difference between buying low and selling high, but uh, it's easier said than done sometimes. Yes, sir. That's that's a great point is that selling, maybe the t- perfect time to sell is within 15 months, like you said, but there's other opportunities. So if you can sell that soon, then you get to start looking at other opportunities, which is great. And yes, the main thing with the full service broker is just that they offer you advice. And generally, because they offer you advice, they're going to charge you higher fees than maybe the discount and direct access brokerages, but you're getting advice. So generally, that's worth it. And one thing is that full service brokers, when they find an awesome stock that they think their client should own, they do have to contact their clients for permission to make the transaction. So really, the client is still in control of what's in and what's not in their portfolio. But it really is a great option if somebody doesn't have time or if they just think somebody's going to do a better job than them. Second, what is a discount brokerage? Well, a brokerage firm that charges a reduced commission on transactions, but typically does not provide investment advice or other services. Discount brokers had their birth in 1975 when the SEC declared that there would no longer be fixed commissions, that everything was negotiated. Before 1975, there was a fixed fee commission based on the price of a stock. An example, for every 100 shares of IBM that was trading around 350 a share in those days, the commission was $75 set. And IBM was the highest price stock in those days as a hundred share round lot. Today, Berkshire Hathaway is the highest price stock on the New York Stock Exchange, over $315,000 a share, I think. Yes, sir, thank you. And finally, out of the three types of brokers, what is a direct access brokerage? Speed, 
and order execution designed for day traders without investment research or advice. Normally two cents a share and maybe $20 for option contract. There are a number of these, including a few TD Ameritrade, uh, CenterPoint Securities, Interactive, Speed Trader, and others. Robinhood is a new concept, which you brought up earlier, Richard. All transactions are commission-free. They recently went public, and it's probably priced somewhere in the $50 billion range. I, I'm not sure. Uh, they have 10 million accounts and make money by getting paid for order flow and the VIG from all the cash and securities plus interchange fees related to its debit card. There are many questions about Robinhood because the compliance department has had to shut down trading in some of the like GameStop and different things that ran wild or both ways, I guess. And um, you wonder if, as an old person, as old as I am, I'm somewhat hesitant about trading with Robinhood, but that doesn't mean that they don't have a great way of operating. Uh, it's just that, you know, having been a typical stockbroker and institutional broker for all those years, it makes me nervous to think that you could, if you had $20,000 in your account, you could trade $200,000 worth of stock if you traded five different times in a day or 10, 10 times in a day. And when they stop trading on that, you know, you could lose as much as $100,000 because there have already been lawsuits against Robinhood because of the losses that people have suffered because uh, their compliance department has not been quite as sharp as maybe they should be. Those are my opinions. Yes, sir. Thank you. And we also have a disclaimer, so don't worry about any <laughs> sort of opinions. But um, yes, sir. A direct access brokerage is really just all about getting those orders through fast, getting them executed quickly. And a lot of times online brokers, which tend to be discount brokerages, a lot of times they also offer direct access platforms. Like I know TD Ameritrade offers one called Thinkorswim. And all right, that is going to be the end of this episode of the Enlightened Investing Podcast. Mr. Collins, thank you so much for being here and answering our questions. And I'm very excited to speak with you again in Stockbrokers Part 2. Everyone listening, make sure to check out our website, enlightenedinvesting.net, where all of our listening links are, where you can subscribe to our newsletter, and where you can check out the Enlightened Investing blog. So follow us on Instagram at, at enlightened underscore investing for sneak peeks and teasers of upcoming episodes, and email us with any questions you have at enlightenedinvesting at enlightenedinvesting.net. So all of that will be linked in the description of this episode. That's all for this episode. I'll see you guys next week. Disclaimer. Neither the host nor the guest speakers can guarantee possible outcome or profit from our discussions. Our ideas and opinions are based upon reliable information, but in the end, their only expressions are our best opinions, and some of those opinions could be incorrect.